Hi, welcome to Pitt Town Church. We are so glad that you're listening to this podcast. We pray that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If you would like more information, check out our website at www.pitttownchurch.com. Good morning. My name is Helen and I'm going to do the Bible reading for us this morning. This morning we're looking at Luke chapter 6, verses 17 to 26. Um, If you don't have a Bible, you can scan the QR code on the back of the seat in front of you and it should pop up there, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. So Luke chapter 6, starting from verse 17. After coming down with them, he stood on a level place with a large crowd of his disciples and a great number of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They came to hear him and be healed of their diseases, and those tormented by unclean spirits were made well. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. Then looking up at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, because the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are now hungry, because you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, because you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven. For this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort. Woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are now laughing, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. Well, I wonder what you think success looks like to you. You know, how do you measure it? It all feels very subjective, I think. You know, you look at the people around you and you can think, I'm not as successful as that person. You know, I'm not as well off as that person over there. You know, we compare ourselves to others around them. And also it changes as you get older and and maybe as you have more experiences in life. I remember when I was a kid, watching the 1994 film Richie Rich. Oh, what a film. And I remember seeing that film and watching this kid thinking that's that's success, that's the life, you know. I wanted to have the things that this kid had. He had a McDonald's in his house. Oh, you know, as a kid, nothing could be better. You're like whatever food that you that you wanted, your most favourite food, which was always Macca's, of course, you could have that whenever you wanted it. He had a computer in his room. Oh, crazy. He had a fax machine as well, you know, send and receive documents. So good. And, you know, he had all of these gadgets and gizmos. He even had this. This was like sci-fi technology in 1994. He had a dad tracker. And so he knew at like any time he could check where his dad was in the world and find his location. Oh, Sci-fi, this will never come to reality, right? Well, of course we know, and I know now as an adult that like Uber Eats means you can get whatever food that you want whenever you want it delivered to your door. And, 
you know, you can have a computer in your pocket because your phone's so much more powerful than anything was in 1994. And you, you can locate anyone in G, with GPS tracking and find my friends. And so, you know, it's not as, as cool anymore. It doesn't look like success anymore to me. And so, you know, how do you measure what success looks like? How do you know when you've reached it? I was reading this week about a man in Florida, that wild and wacky state in America, who was involved in a car accident and it wasn't his fault. He, he was innocent and he needed to prove his innocence somehow. But luckily he had a, a dashboard camera that recorded the whole thing. And so he gave his dash cam over to the police and they could see for themselves he was cut off, wasn't his fault. There it was. Boom, successful, innocence proved. However, however, the dash cam recorded more than just that altercation that day. The dash cam also recorded this man earlier in the day robbing a store that was on the footage that he gave over to the police. I'm not making this up. You can see there for yourself. It's a real news article. Can you imagine this guy handing over that dash cam footage and just thinking to himself, I am really doing it today. You know, I'm going to get let off that bogus trumped up altercation charge. I'm going to get free. I'll have some time now to go sell my ill-gotten wares from that robbery earlier in the day. What a stuff up. He was so confident of his success, he didn't realise he was directly contributing to his own downfall. What a stuff up. Well, as we take a look at our passage today from Luke chapter 6, I want to ask the question, what if we are in danger of having a false confidence in our success? What if the measurement that we have for success is all wrong? What if we're in danger of being just as naive as this Florida man here in the ways that we're pursuing success? What if they are actually directly contributing to our downfall? Well, how about we pray to God that he'll help us as we look at his word today? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word and we pray that as we read it now, would you open our hearts and minds to hear it and to be transformed by it, that we might know you better and love you deeper and live for you more fully. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we, we left off with Jesus having a teaching moment with the, the Pharisees and the scribes that were around him. They were, he was revealing to them that he was someone pretty important. He revealed to them he was the Lord of the Sabbath. And we heard from Nathan how the Pharisees had gotten God so wrong. They got his character and his laws so wrong, they were missing seeing God right there in front of them in the person of Jesus, just as he was teaching them and correcting them. And then after this encounter, we read Jesus went up to a mountain and he camped out for a while and he was praying up there. And then he called his disciples, a, a group of people that were following him, probably a large number of people. He called just 12 of them, picked 12 
to be his apostles, to watch him and follow him and to carry on his message. And then he was praying, he was then picking, and now we see he comes down the mountain to this level place and begins preaching. And you might have been a bit confused as we had our Bible reading before reading he was on this level place because we might remember Jesus preaching something like this on a mountain, the Sermon on the Mount. And and in Matthew chapter 5, he writes about Jesus preaching a Sermon on the Mount with some blessings in it, the Beatitudes. And so there's a bit of debate around this Sermon on the Level. You know, is it the same? Have Luke and Matthew just gotten it a little bit wrong? Have they forgotten the location and just thought about that differently? Have they got some of the details different and remembered? Because there's a bunch of similarity. But most theologians and preachers tend to agree, and I think this is right, that this isn't the same message as Matthew has in chapter 5 that Luke is now recording here in chapter 6. The general consensus is that this is a different time and a different place with some different wordings and emphasis between the two. Now, maybe Jesus had some similar things he was teaching and had a a talk that he uh, appropriated. We don't know why they're different. And look, maybe you just don't care and that's okay too. Uh, But if you do, I thought it'd be good to clarify. But also, uh, it's important that we know not to read Matthew's account into this passage that we're looking at today, this sermon on the level place. They are different and they're different for a reason. So we read in verse 17, it says, After coming down with them, with the disciples, he stood on a level place with a large crowd of his disciples and a great number of people. I'm just going to pause it there because I think this is this is pretty wild. Uh, this, this phrase, a great number of people. A great number is the same phrase Luke uses back in chapter 5, which we were looking at not that long ago. You might remember this story of Peter fishing and he, he's been fishing all night and he wasn't catching anything. Jesus is like, let down your net. And, Jesus, and Peter's like, okay, I guess I'll do it again if you say so. And he holds it out there. And then he pulls in a great number of fish. And that's the exact same word that Luke used then. He pulled in a great number of fish and it was so hard to put it into his boat and it was so hard, so difficult, what a miracle. And then Jesus says to him, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of people. And what we see here is Jesus doing exactly that. He is here gathering a great number, not of fish, but of people around him a large crowd of disciples, a great number of people from Judea and Jerusalem, and it says from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. And you can see, hopefully from the map there, it might be a bit difficult to see, uh, but I've color-coded it. You can see the orangey-ready section there of Judea. This is the whole region there, and above that is Jerusalem in that upper third there, and then all the way up the top, a couple of black dots up there for Tyre and Sidon. Basically, everywhere in this area is where people have come from. And there's the you know, location pinpoint on the map there where Jesus is currently preaching from. 
Luke is stressing here this is a huge crowd, not just from the major city, not just from one big area in Judah, not just from the seacoast, but from all of this place. People have come to see Jesus. This great number of people. Jesus himself is being a fisher of this great number. And we read in verse 18, they come, came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. And those tormented by unclean spirits were made well. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out for him, from him and healing them all. I mean, this is unlike any of the healings that we've read so far in Luke. This is mass healing of a huge multitude of people. Jesus healing them all. Power is just coming out of him. What an incredible scene that we're seeing here. You know, he's in a 12 there right with him, his disciples, crowd of them gathered around, and then a huge crowd from far and wild. I mean, you just imagine what it would be like to be there, right, and to be one of his disciples or his apostles, to be like right there with him. You'd feel so special seeing this huge, powerful scene of people just being healed of sicknesses and diseases, cast out of spirits just all over the place. And we read that in the midst of this, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says to them, excuse me, he says to them, blessed are you who are poor because the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are hungry now because you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now because you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. We read that Jesus in the midst of this huge crowd, this mass healing going on, power coming out from him, turns and says these things these blessings. Now, we don't tend to use this term very much every day. Maybe you might use the word blessed, you know, hashtag blessed, or, uh, you know, someone sneezes and you do the polite thing and you say, oh, bless you. But we don't tend to use bless or blessed uh, very often. But it just means in this context and in this passage, the word blessed means to be fortunate, <clears throat> worthy of congratulations means happy, blissful. And I think it reads a little different when you read it like that. Because if the word blessed in this context means these things, it's like Jesus is saying, how fortunate are you to be poor? You ought to be congratulated, you who are hungry. How happy for you who are weeping, how blissful for you who are hated. It sounds wild, right? Is Jesus saying that this is the measure of success? Poor, hungry, weeping, hated. Well, we need to be very careful that we don't miss some important things that are going on here. As I said before, this isn't Matthew's gospel. And so, 
Jesus isn't saying here, blessed are the poor in spirit, like Matthew said. Here he's saying, blessed are you who are poor. Jesus isn't saying, how fortunate are the poor and the hungry and the weeping and the hatred hated in a general sense. He's not saying, if you're poor, then here's the kingdom of God. It's yours because you're poor. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, you who are, and the you he's speaking to are his disciples. He's speaking to his followers. And he says, how fortunate are you who follow me and are poor? Which is still wild and still full on. And we need to be really careful that as we read this, we don't end up treating Jesus' words like the Pharisees treated God's words. This isn't Jesus saying that everyone's better off going hungry and starving themselves. That would be the Pharisaic way of reading this. You know, what must I do to be <clears throat> to be blessed? How can I adopt a behavior or rules or whatever has that has nothing to do with God? Just in order to receive the benefits of God. You can see how ridiculous that sounds. And so if you walk away from today thinking, right, so I, if I have money, I need to make myself poor, that will make me a good Christian, that will make me blessed, then you've missed the point and you've started to think like a Pharisee. If you walk away from today thinking, you know, you need to give up food for a few days, make yourself really hungry, that will please God, that will make you blessed, or, you know, you think, I just need to be a jerk to as many people as possible. You know, being hated by others will make me blessed. Then you've missed the point. Jesus says you are blessed because of Christ. He says that really clearly in the fourth blessing here, verse 22, he says, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. It's not because you're being a jerk. <laughs> they hate you because you're in Christ, just like people used to hate and treat the prophets because they were speaking on behalf of God. If you're representing Jesus and they hate Jesus, then they will hate you. If they love you but hate Jesus, we hear a little bit later, he says you're doing it wrong. But we could also say just as easily, if they love Jesus and hate you, you're probably also doing it wrong too. But the point is, Jesus is saying you are blessed because of Christ. Let's be very clear here. Jesus isn't saying that you should act poor, that you should become hungry, that you should just start weeping all the time. Instead, Jesus says it doesn't matter if your circumstances don't look successful by worldly standards. Your measure of success, your blessedness, comes from being a disciple and following Jesus. How Fortunate. 
You ought to be congratulated. How happy, how blissful. Whatever your circumstances, you are blessed. And in the midst of this mass group healing with power going out from him, Jesus says that to truly follow him doesn't always look so powerful, doesn't look so impressive. That's not what most of Jesus' life and ministry looked like either. You know, in spite of this massive crowd that's around him now, in spite of this incredible display of power coming out of him, we, we already know, we've, we've read it in, in Luke earlier on, that Jesus wasn't born into a rich family, into a palace or anything like that. We already know that Jesus ate nothing for 40 days and 40 nights while he was being tempted out in the desert. And we will continue to read that Jesus weeps and grieves with others. And we read that Jesus was hated so badly that he was crucified when he was innocent. And so we can know that this is true for us, that we are blessed because it was true for Jesus. In spite of circumstances, if you're a disciple of Jesus and you follow him, then you are blessed. That might be really hard to hear today. I'm sure that there are people in this church who are hurting all kinds of ways and from all kinds of things. You know, maybe it's cost of living. Maybe you're going through a particular grief and struggle at the moment. We're a church of broken people living in a broken world. But this isn't just abstract and academic discussion here. Jesus wants you to know you are blessed. And he said this to his disciples. I mean, can you imagine his disciples sitting there hearing this? Jesus saying, you are blessed, Levi, Matthew, a.k.a. Matthew, sitting there who's given up a lucrative tax-collecting career to follow Jesus. He says, you are blessed, Simon, Peter, after you've just given up the biggest catch of your career, you know, your fishing career is just picking up, giving it all up to follow Jesus. He's saying to his disciples there, you are blessed, who have just been accused by the Pharisees and their scribes for eating heads of grain on the Sabbath. They've been accused before of eating with sinners and tax collectors and not fasting like John's disciples have. And Jesus says, you are blessed. No doubt there's more and more stories of this from Jesus' disciples, this large crowd of disciples around him. He speaks to these real people who have experienced genuine hardship on account of him and will suffer so much more. You can read about the lives of the disciples if you ever want to find out just how much they suffered for Jesus. And he says that they are blessed because they're his disciples. And if you're someone following Jesus today, Jesus says whatever circumstances you find yourself in now, it doesn't define you. 
Your circumstances don't define you. It's your relationship with Jesus that defines you. And if you're in Christ, even if your present circumstances are not great, the reality is the kingdom of God belongs to you. You will be filled. You will laugh. You will leap for joy and rejoice. If you are in Christ, you are blessed. It's so incredibly liberating, just as much as it is countercultural and wild and wacky to hear, because that's not what the world says. That's not what we hear day in and day out, is it? That's not what we hear from people who have no hope in the Lord. And it's so, I think, incredibly hard not to be lured in to that way of thinking in our lives, how the world sees riches and fame and fortune and success. And it's so very tempting to be like the Florida man and to start pursuing some idea of success that's misguided and it's actually directly contributing to your own downfall. And so Jesus has some woes to share with his disciples as well. He says in verse 24, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort. Woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are now laughing, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. Woes are a statement of caution. It means what grief, what wretchedness, how tragic. What calamity. What grief, you who are rich, you have already received your comfort. This is so countercultural. What wretchedness to have lots of money and laughter and possessions and power and prestige. And it sounds weird, right? But those things are only valuable now. If you have no hope in Christ and if you have no hope in then. Jesus is still speaking to his disciples and he says, Woe to you if you abandon him to seek after these things. Woe to you if you also think that your circumstances define you and your circumstances seem good in a worldly sense. What grief to you who are satisfied with the riches of this world, with seeking comfort in this world because you can't take it with you into the kingdom where they are utterly worthless. You'll have received your comfort now and you will find none then. That's a woe. What wretchedness to you who are so satisfied and full now that you miss out on Jesus' promise that no one who comes to him will ever be hungry, no one who believes in him will ever be thirsty again. That's a woe. How tragic you who laugh and seek happiness and do all you can to avoid pain in this life 
and unhappiness in this life that without Jesus, all it will lead to is grief on judgment day. That's a woe. And what calamity when people speak well of you, when you're really well liked, but without Jesus, you're missing out on hearing your maker and your creator saying, well done, good and faithful servant. That's a woe. And these things, riches and fullness and laughter and joy, they aren't actually terrible things in and of themselves. They're they're great things. They're all a reflection of God and his kingdom, right? Like when you read that, riches and laughter and joy and fullness, that's what God promises us. That's what God gives us. But therein lies the danger to seek after these things and replace the true source, the true person who gives it to us. To be rich in this life and in that pursuit of success, you stop following the Lord Jesus who himself gave up the riches of heaven for the sake of others. To be full in this life and in that pursuit of success, you stop following Jesus who invites everyone to the banquet table of God. To be laughing all the time in this life when in that pursuit of success you stop following the Lord Jesus who grieved with others and teaches us to grieve our sin and repent from it. And to be well spoken of in this life that in that pursuit of success you stop following Jesus who is hated and despised by those who love this world more than God. Riches and fullness and laughing and being spoken well of aren't terrible in and of themselves, but without Jesus, they're all worthless. All these things our world and our society tells us are the most worthy pursuits in life are the very things Jesus says are woes because without Jesus, they're all worthless. Following Jesus is the most important pursuit. Being in Christ is the measure of success. And the circumstances you find yourself in now, you here in the room here today, whether it's poor or rich, whether it's hungry or full, weeping or laughing, hated or loved, none of them define you. It's your relationship with Jesus that defines you. So as we wrap this up, I think the most important question that you could ask yourself today is, am I in Christ? Maybe this is a decision you've never made before and so you're not even sure how you'd answer that question here today. Are you in Christ? It's so great that you're here with us Today, it's so I think God has brought you here for a reason to hear this message. And this is the most important question that you will ever answer. 
Even though Jesus was speaking to his disciples and said these things, we read that there's a large crowd of people from all over the place that have gathered here and hear Jesus and all people are welcome and invited to follow him and become his disciple. Are you in Christ? Because if you're not in Christ, then the kingdom doesn't belong to you and there's just poverty. If you're not in Christ then you who are hungry have no claim to the promise to be filled. If you're not in Christ, then this life can only give you all the comfort you'll ever get, all the fullness you'll ever get, all the joy you'll ever get. And for many of us, that is quite tragic. And it will still be without all the fullness that God offers in this life and the next. Are you in Christ? And if you are a disciple of Jesus, will you commit to helping one another keep following him? Because in this room are people from all kinds of situations and circumstances who have gathered here today people that need to hear that they are blessed, who are struggling, who need help from brothers and sisters to remember that they're blessed and not forsake the Lord Jesus and to help them in their need as we give up our riches knowing we can't take it with us. And in this room there are people who need to hear the woes who need to be cautioned to stop following worldly desires. Will you encourage them and correct them and teach them? Our measure of success isn't riches and it's not poverty. It isn't being well-fed or hungry. It isn't laughing heaps or weeping all the time. It's not being loved by the world or being hated by it either. Our measure of success is being in Christ. Let me finish by sharing the words of the Apostle Paul who writes in Philippians chapter 4. He says, I know how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. He says, the secret is, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. How about we pray now that God would strengthen us and help us to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus, that he laid down his life for those who are enemies, that they might become friends, that he teaches that this world does not define us, but it is our identity in him that defines us. Father, we pray for all of us here today, from all situations and circumstances, Father, we pray that you would help us to cling to Jesus Help us to remind one another and help us to be in your word, to be reminded by you as often as we need to hear it, that we are blessed in Christ.
And would you help us to avoid the woes and dangers and traps of this life that we might reach our end clinging on to Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.